0: But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We'll look at the subject this morning of faith and creation from verse 3. Verse 3 completes the definition of faith given in these opening verses. We've looked at faith and hope in verse 1, faith and commendation or salvation in verse 2, And now we'll learn of the relationship of faith and creation. Notice first, first in this verse, that there is a claim of knowledge. There's a claim to know something here. This is found in the words, we understand. We understand. It is literally, we know. We perceive. So this is a truth claim. An assertion that we possess factual information about some subject. This is not a description of a merely religious opinion, or our feeling, or our hopes, or some kind of untested assumption. No, this is a claim to knowledge. We understand something. This says in a very straightforward way, we possess actual facts about the subject I'm about to mention. Now, the we in this verse is, of course, Christians. We are claiming that as Christians, we have knowledge about the origin of the universe. We affirm as Christians that we have certain facts about the physical world that are true, true truth, Real facts, we don't claim as Christians to only know about spiritual things or the unseen or untouchable, non-empirical realities. No, we plainly assert as Christians that we understand certain truths that in our day are usually called by the name of science. Now that, of course, is loudly denied and often ridiculed by evolutionary scientists and the general population. They say we should stick to our fairy tale religion and leave science to the empiricists. Leave science to the people who know how to actually deal with reality. Those who know how to use objective and scientific unbiased methodologies. And despite what some misinformed people say, these two viewpoints are actually in conflict with each other. Christians are not content to leave the visible world to modern atheistic science while we deal with the invisible realm. No, biblical Christianity does not allow us such an approach. Why Because as the opening words of this book of Hebrews told us in these last days, the son of God has spoken to us in the scriptures. And this son, Jesus Christ, is the one who, according to chapter one, verse two, created the universe. You see, the revealer is the savior who is the creator. Any separation of the Son's work is artificial, unscriptural, and unchristian. So there is here in this verse a claim to knowledge. Secondly, there is the means of attaining this knowledge. He tells us how we know this. The means of attaining this knowledge is, of course, the first two words, by faith. By faith, faith is the means, it's the method, it's the way that we get these facts that we come into this knowledge. So faith here can't be you know blind belief, an unintelligent credulity that just believes anything and everything from anyone or everyone and doesn't need good reasons. no. This is faith in God and his word. And from that wisely placed faith, we learn knowledge. We have understanding from God. In verses 1 and 2, faith is presented as the way we bring the future promises of God to a kind of present reality in our lives. God who knows the future because he's decreed everything that will come to pass. He made sure and certain promises about the future to all of these men and women of faith. By themselves, none of these men or women could know the future. But faith believes the dependable and always truthful God whenever he speaks. And so things invisible, things not seen, things still future, they can be known. Not because you're God's or you can see the future or you have some special prophetic ability, but because by faith you believe the God who made all of these things, including the future. So, faith in God's Word is much more powerful than even the best science. Mm. You can know things through faith, really know things through faith, that science can never teach you. Mm. No scientist can know the future. He may predict, she may expect, but he or she cannot go there. They, Children, believe it or not, contrary to what you might hear, there are no time machines yet. All right? They don't exist. No scientist can see or measure what is yet to come. But faith can. Mm -hmm. And faith does. Saving faith does. All right? Now, in this verse, we are presented with the opposite problem. We can't, we can't see the future, verses 1 and 2. Verse 3 reminds us we can't see the past by ourselves. Right? We can't see the past. What happened thousands, or what some say are millions or billions of years ago, by ourselves, we don't know. We have no way to experience that. But just as faith can give us knowledge about the future through the word of God, so we can know, really, really, rationally and scientifically know the past. Because God was there. And when he speaks of it to us, it is factual, dependable knowledge. So again, faith is much more powerful than mere science or reason alone. Science and reason have their place, absolutely. When rightly understood, you know that they are made by God, Things work a certain way, and he's given men the ability to find some of those things out. It's amazing. Faith is greater. Because faith not only accepts all of those things, there's more knowledge that God can give faith than empiricism can ever demonstrate. Faith can take us beyond our reasoning faculties, not because it's irrational but because faith connects us to God, who could inform us better than the most brilliant intellectual human being. Faith leads to truth. Faith leads to truth, to knowledge. Yes, even so-called, at times, scientific knowledge, like the doctrine of creation. Now we must not forget that the faith that's spoken about in this verse, just like in every other verse all around it, is saving faith. Let me remind you again, according to the Bible, it's not just any faith that leads to knowledge. It's not any faith that saves. Every sort of faith doesn't teach that the universe was created by the Word of God. Some faith is misplaced. Some is devilish, some is temporary. But there is a faith created by God the Holy Spirit in the soul of the regenerate that does give us this kind of knowledge. It does teach of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who reveals and saves and creates. And people who possess the gift of saving faith, they believe what God says. They believe all of what God says. Many unbelievers, of course, claim that people of faith are deluded, ignorant, not seeing the world as it really is. But God-given faith is a faith that enlightens the mind. Faith opens the sin-darkened corridors of the soul so that we see ourselves and God and the universe as it really is. Unbelief makes you stupid and it keeps you stupid. In fact, it makes you stupider and stupider as life goes on. Saving faith so enlightens the mind That when we read in the Holy Scriptures what God says, we believe it. And so we gain knowledge. We gain true knowledge in all things. Think of Psalm 119, 105. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, the word of God reveals truths from God to us in rational, humanly understood language. Now, I have always loved language. I love foreign languages. I love words. I love people who teach medieval French literature. I mean, I'm a bit different. (laughs) Clearly. But do you understand what God has done in his word? He has stooped down (laughs) to give you... Truth, reality, real knowledge in language you as a human being can understand. Oh, what a gift. Oh, what a gift. I don't know how the Father and the Son communicate. I'm pretty sure it's not in English. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do this. Oh, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. And when we believe what God says, then we possess knowledge. Then we know. Then we understand. Then we perceive rightly. This is true whether God, what God tells us is spiritual information or scientific information or some other category. Of course, the Bible doesn't claim to be a scientific textbook. It doesn't claim omni in the sense that it tells us everything about everything we could ever possibly ask. No, it doesn't. It has a specific purpose. Right? But because it is God who is speaking, everything on every subject that the Bible does contain is dependable. It is truth. It is knowledge. And so this is how we sum up the first half of the verse: by faith we understand. By faith, we understand. What this means is Christians should not be selective with the Bible. You know, believing some things that seem right and ignoring other things that the present culture doesn't approve of, wouldn't be hard to make a long list of those right now, would it, in our country? Wow. Including a lot of things about creation. Who's a man? Who's a woman? What is marriage? Where did all this come from? Don't be surprised that the evil one attacks at such foundational places. It has a terrible after-effect in the morality of people who believe falsehoods about those things. Augustine, uh, Augustine, Austin, if you prefer, famously said, I believe in order to understand. That's what this verse says. By faith, we understand. Augustine's scriptural there. But he also goes on to say in another place if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. Wow. He's calling us when we do this idolaters. Do you understand? He's calling us idolaters. We have set up our own minds and we've brought God and his word under judgment. And we've decided that we're wiser than him. Does this sound like the garden? Does this remind anybody of anything? I mean, and and we commit idolatry. There are Christians today who feel they cannot trust the plain teaching of scripture about creation. And so they pick and choose which doctrines to believe and which ones not to believe. Now, I'm not for a moment pretending that we all have exactly, every true Christian has exactly the same understanding about creation. I'm not saying there are no difficult questions about the doctrines of origins. I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying that when you consciously know what God is saying and you reject that, you're on dangerous ground, my friend. If this is you, do you see the incongruity, the inconsistency I mean, you say that you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, but when Jesus says this about creation, you go, no, no thanks. Well, you're not a follower there, are you? He's not your master teacher anymore. You are some guy with a PhD and a blank mind, is. If you don't follow Christ, in every teaching and in every place he calls you to go, this should concern you. This should concern you. You have a divided heart. And the question is, in your divided heart, which side will win? Will you, by the grace of God, check yourself, come to yourself, to use biblical language, and realize, oh, wait a minute, that's, that's a wrong trail. I need to get back in step with the Spirit and the Word of God and Jesus Christ, and I'm going to follow Him. Or is more and more of your life actually imbibed from the world, and your actual practice and and mental framework of belief just keeps getting farther and farther and farther away from Jesus? How in the world would anyone convict you of being a a real Christian if, if that's your story? If they took you to court and said, Show the evidence. Well, he believes this, but Jesus doesn't teach. And he lives this way, but Jesus doesn't teach. What right do you have to call yourself this? I'm just saying be careful. Be careful, because this is how it happens. Most people who leave the Christian faith don't fall off a cliff. They take a step in the wrong direction, and another small step, and then a side step, and then another small step. And 12 years later, 30 years later, They are way down the wrong road. Now, I know that every true believer will stay on the path, right? I mean, Hebrews is all about that. But I also know that there are plenty of people who in the last day will think they're right with God, and they'll stand before Jesus, and he will say, I never knew you. But we did this, and we did that, and I never knew you. So it is possible to deceive yourself. I wouldn't be your faithful pastor. I wouldn't be faithful to the word of God if I didn't urge you to believe this because people with saving faith believe that God created the universe. That's what this verse teaches. And if you have a divided heart, you need to ask the question, do you believe Christ or are you believing yourself? That's the question. Well, thirdly, the content of this knowledge. This is found in the last half of the verse. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, or perhaps it should be translated um, so that what is seen was made out of things that are not visible. It's hard to know uh, where the not goes in that that verse. It's It's actually stuck kind of between the two parts, and it really could grammatically go either way. The meaning is the same, though. The meaning is the same. The universe, literally the ages. The same word that was back in chapter 1, verse 2, that we've quoted, I think, twice already in the sermon. That the Son of God created the the worlds, the universe, the ages. In other words, God created all of time and space and everything in it. That's what creation means biblically. He spoke. That is, he exercised his will. And remember, when the all-powerful, infinite God decides on something, it happens. He is never thwarted. He is never powerless. He's never ill-advised. God's will is always effective and complete. So God planned for the universe, and then by his power, it was made. Period. Done. That simple. In fact, it took God less time to do it than it takes me. It, it took me more energy to say it. He spoke and it was done. Now, of course, these words clearly reference Genesis 1-1 and following. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Apparently, apparently, the, the, the preacher, the writer of this letter, actually thought that Genesis 1-1 was real understanding, was knowledge, was truth. It wasn't poetic non-science. It was not a literary way of describing evolution. Rather, it was a factual story of the only true God, the God who is true being, the God who has life in himself, giving being and life to everything else that we see that didn't exist at that time, and none of it existed. Creation didn't happen because God coexisted eternally with the stuff, the matter, that was also around, whether visible or invisible, and then he took some of that stuff and made more stuff, the stuff we see. God is not co-equal with eternal matter like the Greek philosophers thought. No. God existed when nothing else did. And I will not play the game with you when you go, oh, yeah, but nothing existed and nothing is something. No, nothing is not something. Nothing is nothing. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Right? That's good. So don't listen to the secular existentialists when they tell you that. Oh, but nothing's something. You're depraved. You need Jesus. Nothing is nothing. (laughs) Nothing is nothing. This is what Christians call the doctrine of creation ex nihilo, the creation of all things except God from nothing. This is not, this doctrine is not the preacher's misinterpretation of Genesis 1 as if, well, you know, there's only one place in the Bible and we're not really sure if that's meant to be factual and, you know, it's, it's kind of a high prose. Maybe it really is poetry. And well, <coughs> This is a truth that's repeated in so many places in Scripture. Let me just read you a few of them. John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Really? All things? Without him was not anything made that was made. Yes, so I guess all things. (laughs) In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The very reasoning ability that men have to shake their fist and deny God, it came from God. It will be their condemnation in the last day. Yes. Psalm 33, 6 and 9, verses we read to begin our worship. By the word of God, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Colossians 1:16, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, speaking of Christ. And I could take you to Romans and Exodus and Job and Isaiah and on and on, almost every book in the Bible, and we would hear the same story. This is not a matter of someone being able to say, well, you know, if I had a pair of scissors and I could just cut out the first couple verses or first couple chapters of the Bible, this would be really easy. No, you would have to carve up the entire Holy Scriptures. You'd have to decimate them. You'd have to pull a Tommy Jefferson and slice up the Bible so small that it it just ended up being a few pages. And that was true religion. No, the whole counsel of God is true religion. And we need it all. It's all true. If you want to not believe Genesis 1 to 3, you will also have to deny the Psalms and Christ's teaching and the Apostles' doctrine and the inspired prophets. Hebrews 11.3 and Genesis 1.1 1, 1 do not stand alone as outliers. They are simply very clear representations of a truth taught many, many times. Two uses and we'll be done. First, very obviously, Christians should believe the biblical doctrine of creation. This verse plainly teaches us that. People who call themselves we, people who call themselves people of faith, should believe the biblical doctrine of creation. It is a matter of faith. In fact, it's more than that. It's a matter of the faith. How does the early statement of faith we know as the Apostles' Creed, how does it begin? Most of you should know that since we've studied that together. I believe in God the Father maker or creator of heaven and earth. Apparently, the early church thought it was really important to right up front, get to know who God is and what the rest of us are derived from him at the beginning of their statement of faith. Our 1689 confession puts it succinctly, beautifully, this way. In the beginning, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was pleased to create or make the world and all things in it, both visible and invisible, in a six-day period, and all very good. Teach that to your children. Mm -hmm. That's a great statement. It goes on to say, he did this to manifest the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. For those of you who may be visiting with a view to membership, this doctrine is part of what we believe here. You can expect this to be taught, and truths derived from it, and for it to be believed among us. Right? Fair, fair warning. That's why we have a confession. Amen. Because we want you to know what we believe. We're not trying to hide, mm-hmm. you know, well, we won't tell them about this and this because they really won't appreciate that. We want you to know who we are and what we believe. We may be wrong on some things. You don't have to agree with us 100%. You have to lovingly live with us, though. Okay? And we with you. (laughs) Secondly, and finally, this is a doctrine related to and important to our salvation. I don't mean if you get this teaching wrong, you can't be saved. Although that might be true. You can get this wrong, and it will show that you don't have saving faith. (laughs) because you may understand very clearly what God says, and you simply reject it. You say, I do not want to believe that. That's not saving faith. You have to believe not only what God says about the future, you have to believe what God says about the past. Now, of course, none of us know any doctrine in perfection. Remaining sin corrupts the truth even in the best of Christian minds. But the doctrine of creation is not a doctrine that stands alone from the rest of scriptural truth and doesn't have any impact on them. Again, you can't take a pair of scissors to Genesis 1 to 3, cutting it out from the rest of the Bible, and think that you haven't impacted everything else that's there. You have. For example, and I'm going to give you a bunch of these real quick. For example, if you don't believe that God in his Son created the worlds, why do you think he could recreate your heart? Mm. I mean, if he didn't or can't do the first, what? why would he or could he do the second? That doesn't seem very consistent. He, is he the revealer, savior, and creator, or is he not? What? Or he's going to return one day and he's going to remake, he's going to recreate the earth, the whole universe in holiness. Well, will he or won't he? I mean, if, if he didn't really do it at the beginning, why, why do you think he's going to do it at the end? Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't seem very consistent, does it? If Genesis 1 is a fairy tale, are the last chapters of Revelation that describe the new heavens and the new earth in Edenic, you know, Genesis 1 to 3 kinds of terms, is that also a fairy tale? When Jesus said, I go away to prepare a home for you, was he just pulling your leg? Or is he actually going to prepare a home for you? Is he actually doing a work of creation in you and in heaven so you can be somewhere someday? I mean, is he the creator or isn't he? At the beginning of time, in your soul, and in the future, is he or isn't he? Is the Christian belief in a future life and home with God a myth? <laughs> or to flip it around, if uniformitarianism is, is true, that's the belief that you know all things continue as they always have, that's one of the presuppositions of modern evolutionary theory then how could God ever intervene in history? How could God become man if everything just always goes along like it does now? If everything's just physical, mechanical? How could God have entered time and space? How could miracles be done in everyday life? I mean, if uniformitarianism is true, why does Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, directly condemn it And I could go on and on and on, but for the sake of time, I won't. Do you see how creation is tied to the rest of the Bible? It's an integral part of the system of truth that is Bible truth. So these illustrate that the doctrine of creation... The knowledge we have by faith is an integral part of the entire system of Christian teaching, including the parts about salvation. So brothers and sisters, I urge you to not only believe this doctrine, but to see it as part of the one system of doctrine that's woven all throughout the Bible. It's just—it's—it's it's all there. And that even means it's related to your salvation. So here's my final plea for you in just two short sentences. First, be careful with the truth God gives you. Prize it and guard it for God's glory and your salvation. All right? Let's pray.